So we're continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews. And can I just tell you, we've been in this book since the start of January. So for those of you who've been here since the beginning of the year, it's been a good long time. And um, I just, I love it. When we first started this book, we were, I was kind of at the point where I didn't want to do this book. Danny and Josh and I were talking about it. And this is not an easy book to go through. A lot of repetition, but a lot of Old Testament, a lot of kind of nuanced themes, a lot of elements to this book that just make it difficult to do. But guys, it has been so rewarding to go through this book of Hebrews with all of you. I really hope that we're getting what this rich and deep book has for us. The author of Hebrews is writing to Christians who have been somewhat persecuted in the past, who are starting to consider straying and walking away from the faith who are being challenged uh, by Judaism and other philosophies. The author of Hebrews is showing them that Jesus is better. He is better than the law and the prophets. He is better than any philosophy or teaching. He's the only way for a conscience to be made clear and for them to have a true relationship with God, to be known and to be loved and to have purpose. The end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10 talks about Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross as the once-for-all sacrifice to make us all clean. Then it comes to this passage that was just read today by Bree. This passage that was read to us this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And before I dive into this text, I want to share with you a, a quick little story. I'll share with you about a friend of mine. I'm not going to say his name. He's a crazy guy. He's one of those guys who loves outdoors, adventures, kind of just doing all the crazy stuff that I look at and be like, you're insane, why would you ever do that? Like he sees like a chasm and he's like, jump over it. I see a chasm and I think, why is this here? Let's walk away. He sees a, a wild animal and insects, he's like, that's so cool, let's play with it. I see something dangerous and say, why did I ever leave the house? This is a crazy guy. One, like, he's the kind of guy who runs marathons, he did triathlons and other crazy things. He went hiking through the Patagonia. He goes down rafting down crazy rapids. So one day he was telling me about this one crazy adventure he went on. He went on a trek over glaciers. And that was by itself, I thought, just crazy. But he said he went with a, a kind of a wild group of people with a guide, and they went during a time of a blizzard. And I said, just, just so dumb. <laughs> but he did, he went. And he went trekking over glaciers with a group of people during a blizzard. And he says they had to be super careful. They, there's there's like, like crevices everywhere. They could slip and fall out ice. It was just dangerous. So what they had to do was they tie a rope to each other. No, no more than a group of like six. So they had, two, they had three different teams, each of groups of six or something like that. And they had rope tied to each other. And they had to do all these crazy precautions. Stuff like, okay, if it's ever too icy, we untie the rope because we cannot stop the descent if it's too icy. Or they always have to be, when they were walking, make sure the rope was completely taut the whole time. Because if there was any slack and somebody started falling, because of the momentum of them falling already before you realized that they were falling, that you'd be pulled in too. Stupid stuff like that. I mean, stuff like, why are you doing this? This is the warning that they give you, don't do this. But that's what they had to do. They had to tie a rope to each other. Then it would blizzard. So then they couldn't see. So it's snowing, dangerous is like ravines and, and all this kind of stuff, and they're going together. And the only way they were able to make it through, though, was because they were tied together. Because when one person started slipping, the other person could brace themselves and brace them and bring them back out. The only way they were able to make it is because they were tied to the guide, and the guide kind of saw their way out. And they were all tied together. Now, I share this illustration, not a perfect one, but it helps us to understand what this section of Hebrews 
is sharing with us. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, is basically calling the readers to persevere in the faith, to hold fast to the hope that they've been given, to not stray from their call. And what I believe this text is saying is that, that one of the most important means of, of us persevering in the faith is living in community. I'll say that again. What I believe one of the most important elements, the most important factors of us persevering, of us holding fast to the hope that's within us, us living well this Christian life, is by us living in community. I believe that we're all on a trek, and only by tethering ourselves together do we come through. That this is God's appointed means of us growing in grace and growing and living out this Christian life together. Does that make sense? Are we with me so far? That's my proposition I want to throw out to all of you. So let's look at this text. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This passage basically summing up what the author has been saying for the past few chapters, hasn't it? If you guys have been here for the past few weeks, you're like, I've heard this over and over again. He's summing it all up. He's saying this is our identity. This is our new reality. This is the way we need to, to know and understand the world. We have confidence to enter into God's presence, not by anything that we did, but only by the blood of Jesus. We can approach the holy God with a sincere heart because our hearts have been made clean. This is the entryway for the community for us. Most all groups or clubs have an entry, have a means of entering in. A country club has a cost. You have to pay X amount of money to enter into a country club. An honor society requires you to have a certain GPA. Uh, certain families, you have to marry in to join a family. You have to rush to join a sorority or fraternity. Most all organizations or teams or clubs or groups have a cost or means by which you have to join. Our membership into this community and group is not dependent upon your worth or anything that you did. Our membership is all because of the work of Jesus Christ. Guys, I want you to hear this. This is a secret sauce of the community. This is what makes this community so great. Our membership, our confidence and belonging is straight from Jesus and not of ourselves. This is the point. Guys, if you don't get anything else, I want you to hear this. This is what makes our community so unique and so different. The secret sauce of the Christian community is that the way we entered in, the way we came in, the way we came to belong is only by the grace of Jesus. Hear this. Verse 19 says, we have confidence to enter in. That word confidence, it means to speak freely. It means to be free and bold. What this means is to speak without thinking about what you're saying, without fear of reprisal, or you can just blurt it out and not be afraid you're going to be rejected. Fear, uh, this confidence is the opposite of fear of rejection. And the reality is most of us do not speak freely. You think about every single word you say. When you go into a professor to try to get a better grade, when you're going into a job interview, you're thinking about every word you're saying. When you're at your job, or when you're at school, or when you're with your friends, you're typically not speaking very freely because you're worried about how you're going to come across to the people you're around. If you want a good idea of what the word confident means, think of my friend Ethan. Ethan Gilland is five years old, <laughs> going on 30. And that boy can tell you exactly how he feels when he feels it. That boy, he just says it. 
He's just confident. He says what he's thinking. He's, he tells you what he wants. He tells you how he feels. And he's just like, absolutely. Ethan and children like him will tell you that your hair looks weird. <laughs> They'll tell you that that outfit doesn't work. They'll ask you why you're wearing that thing or why you're doing what you're doing. Because they're confident. They're not worried about what you're going to say. They're not worried about, they'll just say it because they, honestly, they, they know their whole lives have been loved and adored and treasured. So they're looking at you like, I'll just say it because that's okay. My parents still love me. Right? So I have little kids all the time. They'll be like, uh, what are you wearing that? Or Ethan in particular, when he tells you he wants candy, he doesn't care how much candy he's already had. He'll tell you, I want candy now. My son, when he wants his Doritos, no matter what else is going on, we could be in the middle of doing anything. He's like, no, I need Doritos now. There's a confidence that exists from that. And this is a confidence we're talking about because they know they're loved, they've been taught, they can speak, and it won't affect how they're perceived. The writer of Hebrews has the audacity to say that if you believe in the blood of Jesus, if you ask the Father to accept you, not because of your good deeds, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have this present test, this possession, this status, this confidence. There is no condemnation for you. You can draw near. Do you guys know what that means? It means you're in. It means you're in the group. You're in the community. You're a part of belonging. I'm about to use a Hamilton illustration. I'm so excited. Because I love the musical Hamilton. I'm so pumped about it. And I haven't even seen the musical yet. I just listened to the soundtrack over and over again. I love it. And one of my favorite characters in Hamilton is a guy named Aaron Burr. And he's like the villain of the story, actually, but I just love his character. And he has such a desire to be popular, and he wants to be in the inner circle so bad. He's grasping for what C.S. Lewis calls the inner ring. And this striving explains much of kind of Aaron Burr's destructive, what he does that kind of destroys and makes him the villain of the story. C.S. Lewis in his essay, The Inner Ring, uses the term to describe the place where many of us long to be. We want to be in the know. We want to be one of the essential people. We want to be part of that tight circle that's most important, wherever it may be, in your family, of friends, at work, at church. Lewis writes, I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods, and in many men's lives at all periods, between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. This is true of Aaron Burr. Most of his time in the play is spent watching Hamilton and seeing Alexander Hamilton rise up. And as he rises up, he, Hamilton, this kind of nobody, came from nowhere, nothing, is rising up while Aaron Burr came from kind of important people. I actually just found this out, I didn't know this. His, he's the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. I did not know that. It's crazy. So he's an important guy. He's, he's a prodigy of Princeton College. He's, he was an important guy, but he's watching Hamilton rise up to become eventually George Washington's right-hand man. Aaron Burr doesn't understand it. He's struggling. He's, how is this guy going up while Aaron Burr is being left out in the cold? He, Burr longs for what C.S. Lewis called the inner ring, but Aaron Burr calls it the room where it all happens. He says, I want to be in the room where it happens. Nobody? Okay. Awesome song. I love that song. And especially his desire to be in this room where decisions are being made. Specifically in that case, it was when Alexander Hamilton, James Mass, and Thomas Jefferson made some incredible decisions that shaped America. Aaron Burr wanted to be in there. He was excluded, but that's all he ever wanted. He wanted to be on the inside. C.S. Lewis would have described his longing like this. Poor man. It is not large lighted rooms or champagne 
or even scandals about peers and cabinet ministers that he wants is a sacred little attic or studio, heads bent together, the fog of tobacco smoke, and the delicious knowledge that we, we four or five all huddled beside the stove, are the people who know. Your genuine inner ring exists for exclusion. There'd be no fun if there were no outsiders. The invisible line would have no meaning unless most people were on the wrong side of it. Exclusion is no accident. It is the essence. So in Aaron Burns' story, the struggle escalates until the end of the show, he, Hamilton denies Aaron Burr the chance to become the president, a chance to become in the inner, inner group. And so Burr says to Hamilton, you kept me from the room where it happens for the last time. And then he says, we hawking, dawn, guns drawn. He ends up shooting Alexander. You guys should know this already, right? Okay. <laughs> you should know your history. He ends up shooting Alexander Hamilton. He wanted more than anything to be in the inner circle, in the inner ring. We have this feeling of, unless I'm on the inside of some ring of people I really respect and like, I don't know who I am. I'm insecure. What that means is you despise people who are on the outside of the ring you're trying to get into. You envy the people who are inside the ring you're trying to get into. You see what you're doing is you're, you're forcing out, you want an exclusion of these people on the outside. You don't like them either because you want to be better than them. But you also want to have what the people on the inside have. And every one of us, we see this, whatever circles that we try to create, we want to be on the inside. We want to find worth in it. This is the assurance, though, that of salvation, verses 19 to 22, is why it's so important for the basis of our community. Because when you know by the blood of Jesus you have been admitted to the ultimate inner circle, to the ultimate inner ring, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're accepted by the only person who counts. You can go in, you can have confidence, you can blurt whatever out. When you know that you're loved and you're accepted, that, that, that it destroys your kind of artificial, superficial need to belong. Because this need to belong comes from this true need to belong that comes from your soul's yearning to know God and be known by God. And so when the true knowing happens, when the true inner circle happens, you can now destroy this desire for the inner ring that exists in other parts of your world. If you don't know you're saved by God's grace, if you don't know he loves you, then you have to desperately find love elsewhere. So what are we doing? What are a lot of our relationships about? Reality is so often we don't hang out with people for their sake. We hang out with people because they make you feel good about yourself. We hang out with people because, um, you know, they, maybe they get you what you need. Because all your relationships are about you until you know you're already in the inner ring. Once you know you're already in the inner ring, then all your relationships can be about other people. Because you're not relating to people so they make you feel good about yourself. You feel utterly great about yourself because you've drawn near. If you have confidence because of what Jesus has done, then you'll never be forsaken. And you know he loves you completely and unconditionally. Guys, that transforms your relationship. If Aaron Burr just knew that he did not have to earn his way into any inner circle, that he was already in. If he knew what his grandfather knew. If he knew what Jonathan Edwards knew and preached, that he was already in. He was a sinner saved by grace. He's already in the inner circle, the most innermost circle, the most important circle. His soul is known and loved and called to purpose. Then he wouldn't have to fight so hard to push other people out and to force his way into other circles. Tim Keller says, well, how can I know that? 
How can I be sure that he has loved me like that, that I'm really, really on the inside? Think of Jesus' words on the cross. What is the wages of sin? They'll give you the answer you probably have in your head, but let me tell you, if you lie, if you cheat, if you're cruel, if you're selfish, the first result, the first wages of sin is always aloneness. Sin kills community. Sin disrupts relationships. When you lie, you now have to hide from the people you lied from. You have to cover it up. If you're cruel, you alienate people. The wages of sin is aloneness. The wages of sin is to be forsaken. The wages of sin is to be horribly and terribly alone. On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he's referring back to a psalm, but it's also the, the straw that broke his back. He was alone, rejected by his people, and then forsaken by his father. He got the aloneness we deserve and the sin that we committed. He got what our sins deserve. He lost community. He was alone. But do you know what that means? Because Jesus was forsaken in your place, God will never forsake you. Everything you deserve fell into Jesus' heart, and now he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. You can know that, and you can know that he loves you like that. It changes your relationship, and that will change our relationship. That is the secret sauce. That is the foundation of our community here. Everyone who knows Jesus as their full assurance of salvation is in the inner circle. They can now live and love with confidence that comes from that. Do you guys hear that? Guys, can I tell you the secret sauce? I'll say it again and say it differently. The secret sauce of our community here is the truth of the gospel. The only way that we can live in diverse community, because that's what we are, we're diverse, you know, ethnically, socially, racially, culturally, we're all diverse people, so we all have different ways, and, and I always tell people this, guys, if we're ever causing friction with one another, that's a good thing. Right? That's my friend, Nathan Clendenin. Is, is, he's the guy that always tells me, he's the weirdest guy in the world because of this one statement. He's a weird guy because he says this. Every time conflict happens, he gets excited. He's like, oh, conflict? Every one of us, we run from conflict. Right? We're one of those people like, oh, conflict is so bad. But when he sees conflict, he says, oh, God's about to do something. But here's the deal. Here's why conflict is great. Here's why friction is great. Because it means you have to get close enough for friction to happen. You had to get close enough for conflict to happen. Because can I tell you something? If somebody who I have no idea about and just kind of walking down the street, there's somebody, a complete stranger, and I don't know, he gives me a mean look, I just, that doesn't bother me. I don't know this guy, I don't care. You know, who cares what he has to think of me? I, just, nobody, stranger. But if somebody who's close to me, somebody I live life with, that person is upset with me, that's going to break my heart. You see, guys, here's the deal. Here's the beautiful thing. Friction and conflict is awesome because that means we're living close enough that we rub, rub each other wrong. Do you hear that? So it's not a negative thing, but here's the beautiful thing. We can now learn to live in friction and conflict and to thrive in it only because of the work of Jesus Christ. See, if we didn't already know that we were loved and called to purpose, if we didn't already know that we were loved and forgiven, if we didn't already know that we were in the inner circle, if we didn't already know the truth of the gospel, then can I tell you, it is near impossible to live in true, authentic, good community. It is near impossible because we, as people, stink. We, as people, are selfish. We, as people, the second we're rubbed wrong, we'll say, ah, I'm turning away, I don't like you anymore. 
As soon as the pastor says something that offends me one time, as soon as my small group leader does something I didn't like, as soon as one person doesn't say hi to me, all of a sudden we can just be the type of people that says, ah, forget you, I don't need this, and walk away. There's no grace, no forgiveness. My rights, my desires. But if we are people who already know that we are forgiven in the depth of our sin, who already know that we're in the inner circle, we don't have to work our way in there, not by any virtue of anything that we did, but by virtue of the work of Jesus Christ. If we are people who can be forgiven fully, be known completely, and loved automatically by Jesus Christ, then it changes the very nature of how we live in community. Do you see? Do you see that, guys? The secret sauce of our community the secret sauce of our community is the gospel. And the, the secret of holding fast is living in the community that the gospel purchased for us. Amen? So what does this community look like that has this full assurance? And whoever said that amen was the best amen ever. That's right. I don't know who that was, but that was awesome. Verses 24-25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but by encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In my previous sermon I preached before on community, I mentioned this stuff. So this is kind of a repeat for some of you guys, but I'm going to go over it again here. There are four things that I want us to consider that I believe come out of this. and This is something that Tim Keller kind of helped shape and form here. And the first one is this. It says, let us consider. So one element of our community is that we're a community who considers one another. It's just stop and think, ponder, reflect on how you can look at your friends and your people around you and help them become more like Jesus. Guys, can I tell you, considering though, is not looking at somebody and be like, how, how, look how bad that person is. A considering is not looking at like, oh, Megan, everything about her, she's doing this wrong, doing that wrong. No, no, no. Considering is how can you help them to grow and be more like Jesus. Considering is praying for them. Can I tell you something? This is kind of cool, actually. I, I, I didn't think about this until Bre Bree started, uh, when she read her scripture passage today. But as I was thinking about it, this idea is, who went into the Holy of Holies once a year? Who was it? The high priest. What did he do when he went in there? Say that again? Sacrifice, right? He made sacrifices on behalf of who? The people, right? So who now has access to the Holy of Holies? Us, right? What should we do that we have access to the Holy of Holies? What should we be doing in the Holy of Holies? Is that what praying without stopping really means, right? Shouldn't we be considering and praying for the people? We who have access to the Holy of Holies, like the priests, but not just once a year, we have it all the time. Are we considering and are we praying for our brothers and sisters? Do you hear that? Do you guys hear that? Just a thought. Throwing it out there. It means, consider it means to care so deeply for those in community that you want them to be more loving, to delight in Christ more, to abide in Christ more. You want what's best for them. It's to love the people in your church that God's called you to, to love them so much that you say, I want you to know Jesus more. I want you to be more like Christ. I want your security and your foundation and your identity to be found and rooted in him. I want to pray for you. I want to help you accomplish that. Considering. Our community needs to be considering. Two, it needs to stir. 
right, which is a weird word, literally means to irritate each other. This is why some translation says the word spur, spur one another on, stir another one on. It literally is meaning to, to irritate, but it doesn't mean like, because I'm good at irritating. I'm really good at irritating my wife in particular. You know, so I'm good at that part, but I'm not the best at stirring. <laughs> it's a different type of irritate. In other words, it's to, it's to, it's to nudge. It's to, to, to be enough of a, kind of not a nuisance, but enough of like a, a, a point, a, a, a prod that'll guide you in a certain way. It's like a spur on a horse when you spur each other on. Can I tell you this right now, guys, that every single one of us needs stirring up. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I don't care that you've been walking for 50 years or one year. Every one of us, I don't care if you feel like I'm that new Christian, I'm so passionate, I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus, or you're like, oh, I told a million people about Jesus already, I'm kind of tired. We all need stirring up. Every one of us. God did not call us to live this Christian faith out on an island. He called us to live in community. And one of the elements of community is to stir one another up, to push each other, to drive each other, to become more like Jesus, to do good works, and to love well. Guys, there are also times, can I tell you, just like the rope on the glacier, there are times when you don't even realize it, but you're going to start slipping down that ice. We need somebody on the other that's going to pull you out of it, Right? Or there are other times when you start going in a direction you don't want to be in. You don't even realize it. The blizzard is coming, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go this way, but the safe way is that way. We need somebody to be like, no, no, stop. And you're like, no, no, this is the right way. We need somebody sometimes to yank us, right? Why are we so good so often at looking at other people's mistakes and issues and not seeing our own? We blind ourselves all the time, but this is why, because God knows us. He knows that we're like that. He gives us community to help each other out. We need to stir each other up. But here's the thing, some of us are too scared to do it, right? Some of us, some of us like, are, are, are maybe some of you guys are like, I'm willing, somebody stir me up, yay! But a lot of us are like, I don't wanna offend Nathan, right? Because who am I to step into Nathan's business? Or what if Nathan looks back at me and says, Lawrence, what are you saying, what about you, right? Isn't that why we're scared to do it? We're scared because we live in a Western society, a Western culture that kind of thrives on individualism. Mind your own business. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about money. Don't talk about God. Right? You can talk about anything else. The weather, sports, that's okay. That's the culture we live in. Can I tell you something? We don't have to be a part of that. We don't have to live by that. We can be called by a different set of rules. And in this set of rules, it says, know me. Let me be moved and shaped by you. I need you. I need you in my life. You need me in your, your life. Because that together we can become more like Jesus. And together we can become the kingdom of God that shows other people in this world what the kingdom of God looks like and actually moves to advance it in the earth. We need each other. Are we going to let individualism, are we going to let fear, lack of confidence, move us to not stir each other up? I'll do the rest of this really quickly. Three, encourage. Encourage is a great word. It's parakaleo, which literally means to come alongside and to call. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo means to call. So this encouragement, this idea of encouraging isn't just from a distance being like, hey, good job. You go. It's not just like, hey, you over there, go do it. Encouraging is literally means to come alongside and says, hey, you're struggling reading the word? Let's do it together. I love that about my small group right now. My small group sitting here, and we're doing the Bible reading plan since January, so we're in Judges, right? And can I tell you, every one of us 
First Samuel, as we just finished Judges. See? Call inside. <laughs> Every one of us probably would have stopped a long time ago. I was going through Leviticus and some of these other numbers. Everyone would have stopped, but we have other people who are doing it together with us. Commenting on each other, commenting on the scriptures, commenting together on, on our little Bible study app. Guys, we're called to do it together. So this idea of encouraging is to come alongside and say, hey, I'm with you. I know that it's hard. I know that what you've been through is so tough. I know that you've lost somebody that you love so much. I'm here with you. I know that life is hard right now, but we have a better resurrection together. So let me share that better resurrection truth with you right now. And lastly, work. We're called to do good works. That's the product. This is what we do together as a community. We're called together. This community comes together not just to pat ourselves on the back, not just to say, hey, good job, we feel good about each other, but to say, are we advancing the kingdom of God in this place? We're called to work in community. I always say there's a twofold purpose of the local church. Number one is to show the picture of what the kingdom of God looks like in heaven. We want to show, we want to be an image, we want to be the coming attraction, we want people to look at us, the way we love, the way we live, the way we encourage, the way we help each other out, we, by we work in diversity, the way we want to show people, man, that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like, I want a piece of that, I want to be a part of that. But two, we're also called to be very means of his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. By the way we share the gospel and make disciples, by the way we fight for justice, by the way we love and shape the world around us. We're saying we want a restoration of creation the way it was meant to be. And we're moving to make that happen. Guys, the secret to holding to faith, the secret of holding fast to the hope that God's given you is community. And the secret sauce of community that makes this community so special is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know the inner circle? Do you know Jesus as the way to be known, to be loved, and to have purpose? And if you do, let's live in this community together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. God, we thank you that you've given us, in the way you've ordained and called things to be, you've called us as your local church God, to be the community that you've given to each other. God, the community that you've given us, that for, to each other, we can show each other Christ. God, that we can be the secret sauce because you've called us in, that we can be the secret of living in community together. God, that we no longer have to fight to be in the inner circle, fight to earn our respect, fight to feel like we belong, but because of the work you've done, Jesus, we belong. And we're known and we're loved. May that reality and truth be seen in our community in the way we love and serve and live together. May this community show an accurate picture of your kingdom, God. May this community ever strive to advance your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.